Hey, good morning, Midtown Creep Hall. Uh, good to be with you this morning virtually. Uh, here in about an hour, everybody is uh, hopefully headed to the baseball field for baseball church. And um, we're still trying to figure out how to capture video for folks uh, who won't be there, uh, able to gather at the ball field on Sunday mornings, as well as worship. So bear with us because we're trying to kind of be in two places at once. Uh, so this morning, you're just going to get me. Uh, Janie and the team are already over there uh, setting up for worship. So we are beginning a series uh, this morning in the book of Philippians. And before I, I jump into that, I want to tell you that as a part of this series, uh, we're inviting everyone in our community uh, to participate in something uh, that's called the Daily Office. It's a 40-day study in Philippians. We have uh, hard copies like this, uh, if you would like a hard copy. Um, there's going to be an opportunity uh, to receive a daily text to your phone. Uh, there's going to be a way if you'd rather subscribe via email and get um, information that way. There's even for the people who do Instagram, there's going to be an Instagram reminder. We might even have homing pigeons uh, that will bring uh, daily news to your door. But would encourage you look out for that information. Uh, we would really encourage you to use that as an opportunity to engage uh, with Philippians as we study it. So now we're starting this series in Philippians. Uh, this is a letter that Paul sends to a young church that he had planted in Philippi. And Paul is imprisoned at the time, and so he can't, he can't be with this young church. And what I'm about to read here in a second will show that uh, it, it's painful for him because he deeply cares and loves uh, this young church. Uh, and so he's writing him. And this, uh, this epistle, this, this letter is often referred to as the epistle of joy. Paul uses that word 16 different times uh, in this letter. It's like a giant joy bomb going off, right? It's a theme that runs throughout the letter. But what makes that sensational is really knowing and understanding the context uh, from which Paul writes this letter and the context that this early church was experiencing, which was a lot of persecution. Remember, Paul, he's in prison right now. He's under capital charge. We know because we know the rest of the story. Uh, he eventually is going to be beheaded, right? Um, he's, he's probably writing this letter literally chained between two guards. So he has no, no space, right? No alone time, right? And yet, Paul, you'll see as we get into this letter, He's deeply thankful. He's deeply joyful. And that deep thankfulness and joy isn't based on his circumstances uh, being copacetic or fun because things aren't fun. He's displaying for them a deep joy, um, a deep confidence, a deep peace that is only available through Christ and his gospel uh, in the midst of deep difficulty. So let me read this passage for us. This is Philippians 1, 1 to 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you and all of my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, whether I'm in chains 
for defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you will be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is God's word. All right, we're gonna look at three things uh, in this passage that I believe, uh, this really will set a framework for the rest of our time in Philippians, but these things are really the cause of Paul's joy, what he says, why he can be so joyful. And it's really an opportunity for us as a church to say, okay, does our joy come from the same place that Paul's joy is coming from, okay? So those three things are this, gospel partnership, gospel power, and gospel fruit, all right? Gospel partnership, gospel power, and gospel fruit. So first, gospel partnership. Paul is joyful because of their partnership in the gospel. So if you follow along with what we just read, it's really clear, uh, Paul is like, he is in love with these people. He is deeply in love with these people. He cares about them. He says things like, I, I yearn for you, right? I have you. I carry you in my heart. I'm remembering you all the time. I'm praying for you with joy. And why is that? He says it there in verse 5. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now and being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry that work to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, right? His joy is because of their partnership in the gospel, their fellowship that they have in the gospel, and his confidence that the good work that God started in that church and in their lives, that God was going to bring that work to completion. And that work was going to be completed when Christ returns, okay? So first, let's look at this part of it. He's convinced of this. He says there, I'm convinced that he who began a good work in you, he is going to carry it to completion. Why is that a place for joy for Paul? That he's convinced that the good work that's going on in the life of the church in Philippi is something that God will bring to completion and isn't simply dependent on him. Paul is saying there's a joy in knowing that what he has labored for, what he is fighting for in this Philippian church isn't simply dependent on him, but it's something that the Lord is going to do. It's something that the Lord is doing and that the Lord is going to complete. Now, maybe you've experienced this. I know I've experienced this. Have you ever experienced in, in a situation this sense of if this is going to happen, then it's up to me. If I don't do this, if I don't make this happen, then no one will. When you're living under that kind of pressure, it's profoundly difficult to have joy when everything swings on the hinge of you. It's hard to have joy if there's nothing bigger at work in your life than you. And Paul was convinced of this, right? He understood something from the very beginning about this church in Philippi, and it's this. Paul always knew that God was at work in the church in Philippi long before he was at work. Paul was convinced of it, right? 
that I'm just simply partnering with what God's up to in Philippi. I'm not making something happen in Philippi. To know that, we'd have to go back to Acts 16, and we don't have time to read all of Acts 16. I would encourage you to go read it. But how Paul planted this church, it was a crazy story. He was setting out on his second missionary journey, and he was planning basically to kind of do a tour and go visit all of the churches that he had planted on his first journey. But as he was setting out to go do that with his team, the Holy Spirit kept blocking the way, is what Scripture said. He kind of continued to say, like, no, don't go here. No, go here. I can't imagine being Paul's traveling companions, and every day you wake up, and he's like, I know I said we were going over here, but the Holy Spirit told me last night that we need to go here. I mean, it was probably crazy for these guys, right? Eventually, Paul has this vision of a man in Macedonia, which is another name for the area of Philippi. And the man of Macedonia is basically saying, come here and help us. And so Paul wakes up based on that and decides, we're going to Philippi, guys, right? And when Paul would come to a town, he would usually go to the synagogue and start reasoning with the Jewish people there in the synagogue about who Christ was and what Christ had done. But there were so few Jews in Philippi that there was no synagogue in Philippi. There was, there was nobody to reason with in the synagogue. And so he was actually outside of the city, and came upon a group of God-fearing Gentile women who were basic, basically worshiping God down by the river. They, this was baseball church before baseball church existed, right? No synagogue, right? We're just going to worship God wherever we can. And he comes upon these God-fearing women, and he shares the gospel with them. And Lydia, this, this woman who is a stud businesswoman, dealer in purple cloth, comes to faith, and her whole household comes to faith. And then if you keep going on and Acts. 16, there's a story of Paul exercising a demon out of this woman who is practicing, this girl who is practicing divination, right? And, and this, the people who owned this girl basically were frustrated with Paul because they, had, she, he, they were using this girl in order uh, to make money. And so it lands them in prison. Paul and Silas are in prison. There's this giant earthquake story. Uh, and a Philippian jailer, the person who was responsible for Paul and Silas in prison, he comes to faith, right? He and his whole family. And so it's this crazy story in Acts 16 of, of these Gentile women, of this, this palm-reading girl, of this Philippian jailer and his family. These were all the people that God was working already to bring to himself, to convert, to come to faith. And these were the people who became the foundation of the Philippian church. You see, Paul was convinced of something. That's why he says it the way he does. I'm convinced that he who began a good work, this was not my work. I did not start this work. God started this work, and so I can find joy in the fact that if God started this work, God is going to complete this work. So he's got joy because he's convinced that it's God's work. He's also got joy because they actually embraced and carried on the work that Paul was participating with. They didn't just wait for Paul to come back. They actually embraced this new purpose, right? This new partnership in the gospel. What made this group of people so special to Paul, why he had so much joy, was because of this partnership and this fellowship that they had. And what was the basis of their fellowship? He says that they're, uh, in verse 7, it's right for me to feel this way. It's a good thing I should feel this way and have you in my heart, right? Because of what? All of you share in God's grace with me. 
God can testify how I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. All of you share in God's grace with me. Why is that statement so important? What's he saying there? What he's saying is, is if you followed what I just kind of sketched about the Philippian church, he's saying this, this Philippian church was made up of the most unlikely bunch of people. These were not the super religious elites that got called to start the church in Philippi, right? They were businesswomen, they were jail keepers, they were former divination, palm reading practicers, and all of these people all of a sudden were caught up in this partnership, this the word there in the Greek is koinonia, this koinonia fellowship, where their lives were now all marked by the singular thing. Our lives are marked by the grace of God. We all share in the grace of God. We share in the grace, and, and now, because of the partnership, they share the grace. That was what was happening in the Philippian church. That's why Paul was so joyful not only is God the one at work, but you guys are actually picking up this work that God is doing, and you're sharing in this work. It's literally like the Lord of the Rings, right? This crazy band of people who were bound together on this quest to get the ring to Mordor, right? To help Frodo do what he was called to do. It's a great picture of the kind of fellowship that was going on in the Philippian church. Their lives were all marked by the grace of God. And the grace of God, which includes the love of God and the joy of God and the peace of God, that was the foundation of their relationship, not their vocations. Because you got jailers and businesswomen and former, you know, palm readers, right? It wasn't their vocations. It wasn't their stage of life. It wasn't their zip code. It wasn't their common interest. It wasn't their socioeconomic equality, right? It was Jesus, Jesus and his grace and his mercy and his love, that was what they had in common. And now they were caught up in this great partnership with the work that God was doing in Philippi, and it was their mission to bring to others in Philippi what they were experiencing, what they had. It was a big part of the work that God was bringing to completion in them is that they were caught up in a great cause bigger than themselves, bigger than their own individual stories. They were caught up in the great cause of this, that I'm in this transformative relationship with Jesus now. And it's transforming my relationships with other people. And this love of God, this grace of God, it's gonna transform the city we live in through me, through us. So Paul was joyful first, convinced of the work God was doing, and he was going to bring it to complete. I'm just simply partnering with God, but he's also joyful because they're, they're partnering. They had picked up the cause, right? But the second reason Paul is so joyful, and I said this, it's gospel partnership and then it's gospel power. Paul says something really powerful in verse 8. He says this, I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus that this grace of God had an effect, right? And it, it was this, that Paul literally had the ability now through Christ to love in a new way. I've got a new affection, right? Paul, if you know anything about Paul, Paul was somebody <clears throat> who loved himself and other people based on how they could keep the standards of the law. 
I loved you because you lived up to the standards or I loved myself because I lived up to the standards or I didn't love you because you didn't live up to the standards or I didn't love me because I didn't live up to the standards. But when Paul was converted, the reasons that Paul loved himself and the reasons he was unable to love others were now replaced. What he's saying here is that that was replaced with a different love by grace. I have something now called the affection of Christ Jesus for you. Now, what is that? Well, we could preach a whole sermon on that, but I'll just tell you this. It's not a natural love. It's not a love that we just naturally have. It's supernatural love. Because it's natural for us, right, to love the people who look like us, who have the same backgrounds as us, who have the same likes as us, who have the same abilities as us, who have the same history as us, who have the same, you know, make the same money we do, can afford the same things we can afford, right? It takes something else to love people that are different than you, that have a different story than yours. And these people in Philippi, they had a very different story than Paul's, and yet Paul is saying, I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. What is he saying? He's saying, I, ha I had to have a basis for love that is a deeper place than all the natural things that we love one another on. And what is that place? Well, it goes back to what I just said a second ago. It goes back to all of you share in God's grace with me, right? That's the place that the love comes from the grace that we needed from God, the love that we have from him and we have in him. It goes back to the good work that God is completing in us. Is he's saying, I'm actually giving you a heart that will allow you to live and to love from a different place. Because without living in his affection for me first, right? Without living in his affection for us and having his affection for others, we are literally, we know this, we are left with only our own resources to love other people, right? And if I'm honest, left to myself, my ability to love other people is profoundly limited. I play favorites. I do. What Paul is, is teaching them here and he's saying is true here is, is this, we need God's grace to give God's grace. He's saying, I need to be loved by the affection of Christ Jesus to love with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul had Christ's affection for others because he first had Christ's affection for himself. He had learned to love himself for a different reason than I keep all the standards. I did it all, right? I did it right. He's got a source of love and a joy that is deeper than his circumstances, deeper than his abilities, deeper, deeper than his capacities that comes from the affection of Jesus for him. And it wasn't just coming Jesus for him, it was coming for him to them. And they began to experience it. The Philippian church began to experience it. Paul, later in a letter in Corinthians, uses the Philippian church as an example of this, he says this, 
This is what he says about the Philippian church to the Corinthian church. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. So they're in trial, a very severe trial, and yet they have overflowing joy, and even in poverty, they become very generous people. Why? For I testified that they gave as much as they were able. They gave beyond their ability. So they're going beyond what is required. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. They, they were partnering with what the Lord was up to, and they exceeded our expectations. How? They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. What is he saying? He's saying they gave themselves to the Lord. They allowed the Lord to love them. They allowed themselves to experience the affection of Christ for them. And then out of that place, they gave themselves to others. And it looked like overflowing joy, generosity, even in the midst of trial, even in the midst of extreme poverty. So Paul, he's joyful because of their partnership. He's joyful because he's confident that God's working. He's joyful because he has the affection of Christ Jesus, which is like having the cheat codes to a video game, right? He's got access <laughs> to things that naturally we don't have access to, which is the love of God, right? And the third the reason that Paul is so joyful about what he sees going on in this church is this, and he's, he's ending it by a prayer here in verses 9 through 11. He says, I see something in you, and I'm going to pray for more of it, and that's gospel fruit. I see the fruit of what God's doing in your life, and I'm going to pray for more of it. It's like, have you ever uh, had a friend who planted a garden? I'd say, like, I, you know, I planted a garden, and what people plant gardens, they usually plant gardens for themselves, but almost everybody I know who plants a garden, eventually, at some point in their gardening experience, comes with, like, a bag of squash or a bag of cucumbers to me, and like, dude, I've got so many cucumbers, I can't eat all of these cucumbers, Right? It's because when you, when you plant something for yourself, it always grows more than just what you need, right? When God works in you, it spills out into the lives of other people. And he says, I see this going on, and I'm joyful because I see this gospel fruit in your life. And so he's saying, I'm praying for more of that. And what does he say there? He says, I pray, this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. First off, this is where Paul's saying this is a key to joy. <laughs> this is a key to his joy, that your love may abound in knowledge and depth of insight. That word there, love, is the word agape. It's the word that, that Paul uses for love that's a unique love that's distinct only to God himself. It's not natural to us, right? It's it's his word for love. It's this self-emptying, self-sacrificing love. He's saying, I pray that your love may abound. He's not just talking about their love for one another. He's talking about, would you understand how much you are loved by the agape love of God? Do you have true insight, deep insight into God's love for you? He's saying the, the key to joy, the key to gospel fruit in your life is that. That's so why he prays in Ephesians. I pray that you can grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, right? It's more than just kind of cognitive understanding. I want you to know it, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God is what he prays for them. 
So he says, I, I'm joyful because I see this gospel fruit in your life. So I'm going to keep praying that you would get deep insight, deep wisdom, deep understanding, deep experience of the love of God for you. Why? So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ Jesus. Part of the, of the joy that Paul has and what he longs for this people is that they would actually have discernment. One of the main fruits that Paul is praying for in their life is that, that Philippian church, that you would actually so experience the love of God that it would lead to you making and having discernment about how you make different choices, right? That God's love for you is the primary thing you need in your life to discern what is best for your life. Again, this could be its own whole sermon, right? Because life, life is about choices, right? Our lives are oftentimes marked by our choices. And Paul is saying, where, where do I long for your choices to come from? Where does the Lord long for your choices to come from? He's saying, getting deep insight into God's love for you is the primary place that you need discernment from. Because if you're not experiencing and growing deep in the knowledge of God's agape love for you, getting insight into that, allowing God's love for you literally to shape your heart and your mind and your perspectives, you will not have the discernment you need to decide what is truly best, right? I say this a lot of time in premarital counseling, the people who are about to get married, uh, I tell them all the time, most of life is not about deciding between good and bad things. It's oftentimes about deciding between good and best things. And Paul's saying you need to experience, have insight into the love of God for you if you're gonna have that discernment. And here's why, there's a lot of reasons I could say, but primarily it's this, because if I'm not living in the love of God for me, and if I'm not tasting that and experiencing that, then I am, I'm, not, I'm not just prone to be looking for that love in all the wrong places, right? I, I'm, I'm helpless to not look for that love because I was made for that love. So I will look to things like my spouse or my job or my relationships. I will put the weight of that on all good things, Right? hoping that those things are going to deliver and give me what only the Lord can. He's saying you have to live in the love that God has for you if you're going to have discernment. And if you don't have that discernment, you're going to be looking for that love in all of the wrong places. And it's going to make you something else, which is incredibly self-focused, right? The Bible has taught us that ever since the fall, the fruit of sin is this insatiable bent to move myself to the center of everything, which God has said, that's not what's best for you. That's not what's best. That won't lead you to the joy and to the peace that you were made for. It's only in moving me to the center. And when you move me to the center, what you will see is that my love, my love is focused on you. And when you live in that, you will actually be set free now to focus on loving other people, which is what was happening in this church. 
They were filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes where? Through Christ Jesus, because they're remaining in his love. They had supernatural fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. So this is my prayer for us. Uh, I'm excited about this journey in Philippians that as we step into this book, that Paul, through Paul's words here, that the Lord would really teach us about what it means to have a deep uh, new place to draw joy from. That we would actually partner with what the Lord is doing, the work that he is bringing to completion in and through us. And that ultimately, uh, that we would know Christ's affection, Christ's love for us, and that we would live out of that place. That we would grow into being a community of great discernment, a community that is marked by the fruit of righteousness that only comes through Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for your word. Um, Pray that even as we uh, hopefully meditate more on this this week, I feel like we just flew over the surface of it, um, Lord, that you would teach us uh, about your great love for us, Lord, uh, that you would cause us to be those who rest uh, knowing that that the work uh, that needs to be brought to completion is not just work that we have to do in our own strength. It's, it's work that you do, that you are the one who began the good work and you're the one who's going to bring the work to completion, Lord. So I pray, um, Lord, that we would learn more deeply about your love for us, that it would be the place that we draw deep joy from. And Lord, I pray that we'd be a community that would be marked by discernment, that we would discern um, not just what is good, but what is best, Lord, and that you would fill us uh, through you uh, with all the fruit that comes uh, in being in relationship with you, and that our community would be marked by that. We love you. In your name, amen.